This is Fully Vested, a weekly-ish podcast where Jason Rowley and Graham Peck discuss technology and venture capital investing. This week, we discuss several interesting aspects of the cryptocurrency markets, including the impact of Elon Musk and Tesla, Dogecoin, the environmental impacts of proof of work, and various government and regulatory responses to cryptocurrencies. The show was recorded on May 26th. You can learn more at fullyvested.co. Graham, this this one is this one's clear, clearly for the birds. The, yes, it, it is. It absolutely is. So, uh, so you should explain. We, we you don't should normally, explain the, the sound effects. Yeah, we, we don't normally record in the middle of the day, and um, I've lately been bird sitting, um, and so while the bird is um, not in the exact room that I'm in, it's likely you will hear. Um, genuine authentic bird sounds in the background the bird is is leaving uh literally later today and going back home but but he's quite active and vocal in the middle of the day i think the last time we recorded i was also bird sitting but it was in the evening hours and he was much calmer Mm. there's also construction going on so i have all kinds of special uh sound effects today Mm. and i have a very uh noisy uh glass of uh glass of ice water so oh i don't have ice in mine See, you're the better you're the better I'm, podcaster I'm, I'm, than me. Um, I'm shaking my water right now. Mm. Mm. Uh, Graham, we are talking about a subject that is uh, near and dear to somebody's hearts. Um, sometimes mine, a lot of people's, I think. Sometimes yeah, yours, occasionally um, mine. Uh, we are going to be talking about the uh, world of magical internet money, uh, cryptocurrency. Specifically, talking about uh, some stuff about Bitcoin, some stuff about Ethereum, uh, maybe some stuff about Dogecoin and NFTs, and all a bunch of other weird things that are happening out in the world of crypto land. Uh, but before we do that, we should probably introduce ourselves real quick. My name is Graham Peck. I'm a venture partner with uh, Cultivation Capital, uh, which is a St. Louis-based BC. Uh, although I'm a member of our team in Chicago, uh, we invest in. Seed and Series A stage B2B SaaS companies from our technology team, which is what I'm a member of. We also have sister funds that invest in life sciences and ag tech and food science. One more vertical forthcoming soon. Um, In addition to that, I'm a partner in a couple of other technology companies that do software, custom software design development or build teams that do that as well. Uh, Jason, who the heck are you? You know, I... I ask myself that every day. So uh, my name is Jason Rowley. I am a researcher based here in Chicago, specializing in the world of startups and venture capital. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I am a, a well, occasional uh, host of this podcast, uh, send an occasional newsletter, which you can find at my last name, Rowley, R-O-W-L-E-Y, dot report. And uh, I do some volunteer work for a uh, for an open source software foundation uh, help give away a uh, free boost space to their annual conference to early stage startups, which just happened, right? How, how did uh, it did. How did Virtual PyCon go? Virtual PyCon was uh, virtually great. No, I mean it was literally the second great. Year in a row, it was literally great. Um, I don't think PyCon really happened last year. There was like videos oh, that were posted to right. YouTube, but there wasn't like a community, like ongoing chat type thing, just because like. PyCon last year in 2020 was supposed to happen in like early April. I forget the precise dates, um, but uh, obviously the world shut down uh, very quickly and very rapidly due to the 
um, then emerging coronavirus uh, pandemic, which is uh, now become a very real part of all of our lives. Um, but it went really well. Uh, gave way boost base to eight really, really excellent early stage startups. Be happy to talk about more on the, talk about it more on the show at some point in the future, perhaps in the context of uh, talking about how startup competitions work and how to run them and stuff like that. Who knows? Um, Graham, we got to talk about we got to talk about uh, a topic that's that's been in the news lately, which is uh, cryptocurrencies. What do you know about them? Yeah, and they and they've been making a lot of headlines. Um, you know, and I think uh, I think maybe it was actually even you. Probably not even in the context of preparing for this episode, but um, it was you who said something about like when your barber starts giving you stock advice, like uh, we're in a uh, in, in a bubble. And I, you know, it's interesting because as of late, I've you know just been out to dinner, or grabbing a drink with a friend uh, last week, uh, and heard uh, the guy, the gentleman sitting at the table behind me talking about the mining rig that they bought secondhand and had kind of cobbled together and some other things. So it definitely feels like uh, at least Bitcoin, but cryptocurrencies holistically have really kind of bubbled up to to mainstream attention, which until pretty recently, with the exception of kind of when the price spiked last time um, a few years ago, they don't normally garner all that much uh, attention, even though they're somewhat volatile uh, a fair amount of the time. Yeah, so you know, Bitcoin is well, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and and the entire crypto market, sort of as a whole, is currently riding uh, and and may have sort of crested over uh, the wave of its most recent hype cycle in the media, uh, spurred on by a very significant run up in prices. Um, so, just for context, uh, you know, this time approximately eighteen months ago, Bitcoin was probably trading on Coinbase and other exchanges for somewhere between you know four and maybe six thousand dollars a coin. Uh, depending on the day, which again, that's itself is a thirty percent range or thirty three. Right, that's you know, a huge range. That's a massive range. But um, if you think that, boy, if you think that's massive, uh, get a load of this. Uh, you know, <laughs> then hold on to your seatbelt. Yeah, as seat as whatever. As they say in uh, as they say in Jurassic Park, uh, hold on to your butts, um, because uh, uh, quite quite recently um, in uh, mid April. Uh, Bitcoin's price crested at approximately sixty-five thousand dollars per coin, uh, as per pricing data on Coinbase and other exchanges. Um, and Ethereum, which you got to remember, is perhaps probably one of the most one of the most successful cryptocurrencies to, um, you know, emerge out of that sort of like. ICO that initial coin offering boom, mm-hmm. you know, a few several years ago. Um, you know, they they ICO'd, I believe, at the equivalent of one dollar per ETH. I think I think that's the number. Okay. Don't, don't quote me in particular. Or don't quote me on that in particular. But uh in mid-May, so e.g. mere two weeks ago, plus or minus from the time that we record. Uh Ethereum hit an all-time high of approximately four thousand four hundred dollars per ETH on Coinbase and other exchanges. Also note, Coinbase is not a sponsor of this uh, podcast. Uh, we don't really have sponsors. Um, I'm just going to be mentioning price data on Coinbase a lot because, like everybody, I've spent way too much time looking at Coinbase over the past, say, six weeks or so. All 
All right, let's pull it up right now. Mm. And as we record, just to, uh, we'll, we'll of course timestamp the episode, but uh, as we record right now, Coinbase would list Bitcoin as $38,350 and Ethereum at $2,732. So obviously both of those are nearly, and they both have trade have traded range down below, 50% below their all-time highs, even though their all-time highs were each reached in the last month and a half or so. You know, it sounds so it like continues a, to be an active and interesting market to watch for sure. Yeah, I was going to say it's a real real indicator that this that these uh, assets are extremely uh, stable, reliable, robust uh, stores of value and that they're no in no way merely speculative vehicles for people to uh, trade in their part-time and uh, you know, speculate free time on, right? and money. Yeah. And as a quick reminder, neither Jason or I are lawyers, financial advisors, uh, spiritual advisors, or anything of that nature, accountants, anything like that. So nothing we say or or suggest, I don't think we'll suggest anything anyway, but nothing we say should be taken as any kind of suggestion for you, your family, your loved ones, uh, uh, at any, your dog, yes. Uh, although do a lot of people invest on behalf of their dogs or spec? on behalf of their dogs. You know, you know, Graham, on a, on a trading app, there's got to be somebody out there on a on a trading app. Nobody knows you're a dog. Oh, that's a good point. Hmm. Think about that. I wonder if there's a coin for that. Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, wow. Oh, you mean sorry? Do, you, wow. You mean Dogecoin? Oh, that that was exactly what I was talking about. Holy <laughs> cow! I thought you'd be uh, quicker on the draw there. Okay, all right. Well, so so we don't actually, record this podcast often enough lately. So uh, Jason and my rapport has uh, has fallen by the wayside, apparently. Even though uh, we've finally reconnected in person uh, a couple of times as of late. Indeed, indeed, things are going back to normal. All right, so Graham, we Thank have God. we are going to try to make this a relatively quick one. There is a grab bag of possible topics that we can discuss. Um. Any one of which could pro- that could probably take up an hour plus of conversation, but uh, any of them could become their own whole show. That, exactly. Who knows? Maybe there's you know the the fully vested spinoff show about cryptocurrencies and magical internet money. Ooh, I look forward to that. It could be fun. Okay, so we have a few different things that we could talk about, and Graham, it's going to be up to you to to, uh, to select a couple of them. Okay. So. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. One is the uh, very weird uh, position that Elon Musk finds himself in as sort of like the speaker of things related to cryptocurrency. Uh, and Which I find particularly crazy because until recently uh, he was like kind of anti the space or so it seemed. Yes. I remember from not all that long ago, I mean, meaning still years, but relatively recently, I remember him tweeting something like, someone gave me 0.25 of a Bitcoin when it was an immaterial worth and I've never owned more than that, or something of that nature. Maybe it was for Bitcoin, but something that was still immaterial when it was cents or dollars for that sure. um, only. Um, the other one that we can talk about is uh, the very weird world of uh, and I'm just going to lump all of these together, um, although any one practitioner in this space would probably really hate me for lumping them all in as one. Uh, between NFTs, Dogecoin, and like the memes, you know, all like the me, like the meme nature, the meme coin, yeah, yeah. the meme coin. 
Uh, we have the environmental impacts of proof of work, uh, you know, as contra proof of stake and other sorts of um, consensus mechanisms in blockchain uh, payment protocols. And then we also have the extremely entertaining topic of currency controls and banking restrictions imposed by non-U.S. financial regulators, e.g. those in China. Um, oh boy. Well, yeah, all four of those subtopics obviously sound interesting, but uh, maybe let's just start rolling down that list in that order and let's see how far we get before we uh, wear out our welcome uh, of talking to one another uh, or anyone listening. Okay. We are on the clock. Ooh, this is going to be fun. Um, Elon Musk, uh, everybody's favorite, uh, somewhat problematic uh, South African heir to a emerald mining fortune, uh, as gotten through uh, various uh, means, um, maybe over not related to apartheid, allegedly, maybe not. Who knows? Um, has uh, you know he's he's grandma. I don't know if you've heard of this Elon Musk character, but he's uh, he's apparently a um, he's an entrepreneur. You know what? I, I've heard of a company or two that he might be involved with, um, but you know, this, I, I, have I think to his say, most famous is, is X dot com. Uh, yep, there you go, there you go. <laughs> um, I have to say though, this is a subject that I, I mean, obviously, I've seen him rise to um, cryptocurrency royalty as of late, but but this is not a subject uh, on which, or or even of these subjects, which I don't know that I'm expert on any of, but. Uh, I might be least expert on this one, so uh, I'll let you carry my water if that's all right. It's okay. Uh, I'm also not necessarily an expert on Elon Musk per se, but here we go. So as we alluded to earlier, Elon Musk was for a long time, many, many years, a skeptic of uh, the cryptocurrency blockchain space in general. Although it is unclear to me exactly what changed his mind or what um you know when he changed his mind i'm sure that information is out there somewhere it's just that uh, i haven't read and i didn't do enough uh, prep work for the show uh he turned the corner on that right he you know he he sort of became a little bit of a um one might call him an evangelist for a believer uh, a, yeah exactly he somebody the cryptocurrency bug bit him and he went um, how to say? He dove in with both feet. I mean, he, he did. He went hog wild, dude. Man went, man went full derp for for crypto. Uh, you know, to the point where you know his his Twitter account, which has uh, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe maybe um, you know, multiple thousands uh, times more followers than uh, you and I will ever get combined. Um, where people were following his Twitter account for um. You know, trying trying to read the tea leaves or the the chicken entrails or the coffee grounds or whatever else you might read uh, to sort of divine what his um, sentiments were on the state of cryptocurrency markets and whether he was going to buy, whether he was going to sell, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this uh, sort of culminated in a couple of things. One, uh, many several months ago, uh, Tesla, um, which is um, although Graham and I were joking about uh, Elon Musk's entrepreneurial endeavors, um, Tesla is. Is definitely his most uh, successful venture to date, at least from a publicly traded um, market perspective. Because um, SpaceX is not yet public, we'll see how that goes. Um, he, well, the Tesla had announced that they will take receivership of Bitcoin in exchange for being able to purchase Teslas. Uh, and as part of this effort, um, 
Tesla also purchased, uh, I think it was $100 million, maybe $150 million worth of the— Oh, I thought it was $1.5 billion. Forgive me. I was, I was off an order of magnitude. Holy yeah, moly. Yeah, you, you, you shorted a zero there. I apologize. Um, so they purchased uh, you know, roughly a billion, billion and a half dollars worth of Bitcoin, uh, no doubt to, well, to, to serve as part of the, uh, the company's treasury, and also no doubt to, to provide some sort of a you know, liquidity pool if they end up uh, you know, doing a bunch of um, Bitcoin transactions in exchange for cars, stuff like that. Um, it was, I, I don't necessarily know, I don't believe that Tesla was processing orders um, themselves. I don't know necessarily which third-party Bitcoin payments provider they were processing that through. There was a lot of weirdness around, you know, Tesla has a relatively liberal return policy. I was kind of unclear as to whether or not um, how that would work if you purchased a vehicle in Bitcoin, um, et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, people thought that this was a very bullish sign because, you know, there was there was all these you know there's all these jokes on the internet about like oh you can't you know around piracy right like oh you can't download a car right um, well in the case of in the case of Bitcoin you know maybe you you can buy a pizza or some alpaca socks or um, or drugs on the Silk Road but you know apart from those sorts of of assets you know it's it's what what else are you going to get with all your Bitcoin wealth well since Tesla as a brand has sort of positioned itself as the aspirational luxury vehicle for um, millennials and slightly, uh, you know, and, and Gen X type folks, there might be no better, um, no better thing to spend your uh, massive gains on than a Tesla, or at least so went the theory. And so, th- so folks, I think, legitimately thought that this was going to be a, um, maybe not necessarily a driver of adoption because, you know, not everybody has um, Tesla money floating around. But it could have been an opportunity for people who, you know, made Tesla like made enough money in Bitcoin to buy a Tesla for them to go buy a Tesla, um, and that this served in some way to legitimize the cryptocurrency and and say, oh, you can actually do real things with it. But you know, Elon Musk is um, Graham. Would you necessarily classify Elon Musk as a? Uh, as an extremely logically consistent and, um, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not calling him unstable, but I am saying that he is a somewhat volatile and mercurial personality. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's a, that that's a very fair point. And obviously, um, when you're involved in the number of things that he is, uh, yeah, I think there could be an occasional uh, changing of his direction. Yeah. Obviously, from not being a—I mean, we've already talked about the first one that's related to this subject, which was until not that long ago, when many people had theoretically said he might be Satoshi. Um, he said, "I don't know anything about this space. Don't know anything about it." And now he's, you know, the crown prince of Bitcoin or whatever. Sure. Well, well, until um, until well, actually, no. Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Before he. You know, before he said, uh, you know, friendship ended with crypto. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm moving on. Uh, you know, he got really into a cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, which, um, listeners, full disclosure, um, uh, I, Jason Rowley, your dear, uh, well, maybe not dear, your co-host, let's say, um, <laughs> dear is questionable. Um, your co-host, Jason Rowley, over here. Uh, I mind a bunch of. Dogecoin, approximately around the time that it launched, um, 
in late December 2013. Uh, I held on to it in paper. I held on to part of whatever I'd mined in paper wallets. I liquidated Dogecoin as soon as it hit uh, like six or seven cents, you know, on the day that Elon Musk tweeted about it. And of course, I liberated all my uh, paper wallet and sold everything, um, generating on a multiple uninvested capital uh, standpoint probably the best return I will ever experience. Granted, I exited with like uh, $3,000 net of fees, which is not nothing, but uh, not as much as I could have had if I held on for like two weeks longer and didn't think it was like a random blip. Because Graham, guess what? What's the price of Dogecoin today? The last time I looked at it, which it's not one that I follow closely because I am not now, nor have I ever been a owner of any Dogecoin. Okay, um, current, not passing any judgment on you or anyone else who is or was, but uh, the last time I saw the price, I think it was 27 cents. Yeah, currently currently trading at time of recording uh, on May 26th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, currently trading at 34.1 cents. Oh, there you go. So it's up substantially from the 27 I quoted, which was just a couple of days ago, I think, that I looked at it. And it's been as high as in the 60-something cents per Yeah, coin. I think it hit like 65 or 70 cents. So, so um, yeah, I could, have, I could have been able to pay rent and, and eat for a year um, if I had held on. For another, if you'd held on just another month or two, two yeah. a month and a half. Anyways, but but, but so but Jason, you you have a history. I mean, not to disclose oh, anything that uh, I shouldn't, but oh, you no. have a history of uh, of selling too early in uh, at least a couple of these markets. Hey, no, I did not. So we are way off the topic of Elon Musk. I'm going to finish we the are. topic of Elon Musk, and then I'll get to the 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 time that I sold a bunch of Bitcoin. Okay. Um, yes. I also lost a bunch of Bitcoin in hacks, but anyways, so. Somewhere, so do you want to dig up uh, d- dig up wherever you lost that? Oh, I guess it wasn't uh, thrown away on a hard drive. No, it was confiscated. Anyways, I was not doing anything illegal, mind, mind everybody. The exchange that I had traded a bunch of stuff on was doing things illegally. Anyways, mm. we've gone way off topic. Graham, Elon Musk, shortly after getting the Bitcoin bug, Started tweeting a lot about this Dogecoin cryptocurrency, right? Which, for the record, was released in December of 2013 as a joke by two software engineers. One was from Adobe, and I think the other guy was from Microsoft. Whatever, whatever. They don't have any mm-hmm. involvement with Dogecoin anymore. But but because it was released as a joke, and the particular internet dog, uh, the little yellow Shiba Inu dog associated with it is a incredibly recognizable and um, meme character meme worthy character on the internet mm-hmm. uh, this is clearly the sort of um, how to put it uh, in technical terms the precise sort of uh, absurd and slightly stupid shit that uh, Elon Musk would sort of glom himself onto uh, for fun and you know he started sort of hyping up this coin and there was a lot of people who got really excited about it and Elon Musk went on that really terrible episode of uh, Saturday Night Live and didn't mention Dogecoin, and mm-hmm. that was sort of the end of uh, the extreme uh, ebullience in in the Dogecoin market at the time. Um, at the time, at the time, obviously, it could set an it could set a new high within mere days, within hours. mere within mere moments. For That's all, true. For all I know, Graham. For all I know, Dogecoin will be a five dollar per per coin cryptocurrency, and I will be the old man that oh, sold at five cents, right? Oh, Jason. 
<laughs> I'll come drink a beer with you that night. <laughs> oh, buddy, I'll 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 need it. I'll even buy. I'll okay, buy. Excellent, because I'd be you know I would I would have missed out on all the on those crypto riches. <laughs> Anyways, so so Elon Musk shortly after his his appearance on the on the um, Saturday Night Nate Live episode, um, Elon Musk announces two things. One, he says, um, you know. W- this is not necessarily correlated with the Saturday Night Live thing. Um, he says that Tesla is no longer going to be accepting payments for um, for cars in in the form of Bitcoin. He cited his concerns, which are incredibly valid, over the energy consumption of the Bitcoin network. Um, citing this, right, which is obviously topic number three of our four topics. So if we even get that far at this rate, but yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, uh, he said, you know what, we are not going to be you know accepting it because of environmental concerns. Um, weirdly, Tesla is holding on to its Bitcoin treasury. Um, also weirdly, because of the way that, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a um, SEC you know, enforcement person, I'm just a guy on the internet, but it's my understanding as a layperson that companies that hold Bitcoin in their treasury need to report the value of their Bitcoin in their earnings reports in a sort of like mark-to-market fashion, which means oh, interesting. Which means so this that, is like SEC reporting com- complexity. If they do continue to hold that, what well, started as a billion and a half uh, dollars of of Bitcoin. Wow! Right, and now now if they te- if they end up needing they it, if Bitcoin's price continues to fall, I don't have in front of me the price on the uh, the average price at which they acquired it. But if Bitcoin's price were to fall below that price, you know whatever their average purchase was. Mm-hmm. They are then going to have to report a quarterly loss for whatever those you know paper losses are, and so yeah, there's going to be a lot of weird accounting stuff that happens. Clearly, this wow, is one of those. Yeah, and again, don't quote me on that. I'm not a lawyer, but this is a thing that's been reported on many times, and it'll be in show notes. Um, uh, and I assume that there are probably not a lot of companies uh, that hold crypto on their balance sheet as an asset. Although I'm sure that I'm sure that Tesla is not unique in being the only one. Um, and I guess there are probably a lot of trading firms that may need it for a variety of different reasons to either trade or trade against. Yeah, but those but a lot of those trading firms are not necessarily going to be publicly traded, right? You know, I'm oh, sure. sure, that's I'm, true. They I'm, themselves are, in many cases, not publicly traded. You're right. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm sure that somebody like the you know like the CME Group or you know large banks like uh, Goldman Sachs or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm CME Group in particular because they trade in in all these futures. I'm sure that they have some sort of a Bitcoin reserve for themselves. I'm sure that uh, Goldman Sachs has some sort of cryptocurrency holdings. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have numbers in front of me at the moment, but sure, but. Um, I don't believe that it's going to be as as material as a, a holdings as say you know Tesla's holdings of of Bitcoin is. So, um, so that's going to be weird. Um, and then somewhere in the mi- middle of this, you know, this this sort of precipitated a um, a drop in the price of Bitcoin uh, quite significantly. Um, this coincided with other bad news. Um, which I guess sort of feeds into some of the other stuff around environmental issues and uh, currency controls. Um, but a lot of different things came together to uh, result in the in in the very precipitous uh, 
decline in, in the price of Bitcoin that we've been experiencing over the past, say, three weeks. And Tesla yeah. was part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was because they, they were one of the first major brands. And as you point out, like, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have uh, questioned, for lack of a better term, what the eventual useful, um, you know, you, uh, productive, useful, um, like the utility value yeah. of this is. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the utility of it in society? Because while there are a lot of people trying to work on this problem, there are very few still practical ways that you can use this. So I think that Tesla, having made the original decision they did to allow people to buy cars in Bitcoin, and I'm sure some did, I wonder, it would be an interesting statistic to know how many cars actually were purchased, because that window was relatively small. Um, and I guess further complicated by the fact that I think you have an inordinately long wait time for a Tesla right now. So if you order one, with crypto, you may not pay for the whole car yet. I wonder what they're doing with those people too. But in any case, putting that aside, they were one of the first major brands to uh, to really announce that they were going to you know allow that for practical purchases of an everyday thing like a car. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know there are also some payments companies that are working um, to integrate it with again more credit card or credit card like processing styles so that it can be more. Um, you utilized more practically. Oh, like there's but been again, a bunch that, of that's a somewhat that's a somewhat separate discussion. Yeah, no, like these these payment processors that issue credit cards, like those have been around for for a really long time. Um, you know, well, BitPay is a payment processor. They're one of the very earliest to the space. Um, there was another, you know, as far as like consumer sort of like crypto debit and credit card type products. Um, you know, there was likes of uh, oh man, what were they? It was like Kite. It was another one called, I think bread was another. They all had very like monosyllabic like noun, like regular noun names. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean that's that's been a, a well-developed space for a while. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of interesting stuff that is going down right now in the world of decentralized finance with Ethereum uh, and the different sort of staking and um, loan type smart contracts that are coming out around there. Um, but uh, that's going to be for that's going to be for a different show. Um, Just as one quick continuation of that small aside, um, have you ever bought anything? Not not just bought or sold the underlying currency or another currency, but have you ever practically utilized Bitcoin? You don't, you don't have to disclose for what purpose, but yeah, have you I ever did. bought anything in the real world? Yeah, I did. Um, so a, so a couple of things. So um, years and years and years ago, I purchased. Um, I purchased a couple of stickers using uh, using Bitcoin. That was fun. Uh, mm. I purchased a metal frame for a cryptocurrency mining rig, but that took nine months to get delivered. In the meantime, they uh, they still had my cryptocurrency. That wasn't very nice of them. Um, oh boy. And then I also bought a graphics card off of a friend uh, for what turned out to be a real steal because the price of Bitcoin went up pretty significantly after that. So I got a I got a good deal on that graphics card. We're sorry, it was <laughs> other way other way around. Anyways, um, so so I, I've never I've never practically used it uh, any any crypto in a um, utilitarian kind of way. 
You mean you mean you're not using your your magical internet money as money? Not yet. Hmm. The fees are something else. Um, okay, so we 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 might save a Dogecoin. Well, we've already kind of touched on Dogecoin. Uh, we can save NFTs and stuff for for a little bit later. Um, you know, there's this. So one of the reasons, the other reason why Bitcoin most recently has sort of um, hit a hit hit the skids, as it were, is um, is because you know is, is is in part because of the the points that Elon Musk and others have brought up. And again, Elon Musk is not the is not the first person by any means to cite the the um, the economic the the sorry the environmental externalities of the Bitcoin and other proof of work cryptocurrency economy. Um, so for reference, you know, the, the Bitcoin network uh, consumes, uh, I think the technical term would be a lot of electricity. Um, you know, looking at a, um, looking at a, a, a info, infographic uh, published to a website called a visual, visualcapitalist.com uh, back in April, uh, guesstimating that the Bitcoin network is taking up uh, 129 terawatt hours power wow which is uh a lot um by by contrast the entire state of new york uh consumes approximately again according to this infographic uh, approximately 161 terawatt hours of electricity um so the market uses so the the bitcoin mining market uses almost as much power as the state of new york said said another way well ne- and I, I i think that this is probably the bigger you know the bigger one which is that um, you know, again, Bitcoin network, 129 terawatt hours of, of power. Again, according to this um, infographic from April, um, the world's data center consumption is 205 terawatt hours. Oh, wow. So it uses half as much power or a little bit well, over almost 60% as much power as the entire data center usage worldwide. Yep. Wow, it's a lot. <laughs> that 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 is a lot. Holy um, cow! And and you know, like here's here's a couple of things. So, um, years ago, uh, summer 2015, I found myself sitting across the table from one of the, if not one of the, if not the biggest Bitcoin miners in the world, and he explained to me that at the time, this at the time, this was a pretty novel idea, which is that. Um, you know, Bitcoin and other proof of work cryptocurrencies are, you know, they're not really about necessarily money. They're they're all they're about energy, right? It's this constant race to find the access to the cheapest sources of power. And at the time, I right. was a, I was asking him, well, hey, well, where is this power? And a great deal of power, you know, a great deal of the world's cheapest power is in Inner Mongolia. Um, fueled in part by, uh, you know, hydroelectric, but also powered by coal, and so you know it's mm. not uncommon. So substantial uh, damage to the environment from that, obviously. Coal, I mean, in, coal I, in particular, pa- pa- right? Pa- power generation holistically, coal specifically, right? You know, we're in a we're in a we're in this time where you know the world is sort of beginning to reconcile the uh, the extremely material threat posed by climate change. 
um, to you know long term to the long term well being of of you know not just the inhabitants of this planet yeah to all inhabitants right you know human and non human alike and I think many people are justified in bringing up this question about well that's good for people who already hold Bitcoin but. Is it really worth the tremendous expenditure of energy that people are engaged in, right? And you got to remember that's just the Bitcoin mining ecosystem. There's probably, you know, another few, you know, tens of terawatt hours devoted to mining other cryptocurrencies and and the rest. Um, but you know, it is this big question of like of like, well, we we use this much electricity to hold up a an ecosystem that sort of at peak was maybe worth, you know, like one and a, you know anywhere between one and, and two trillion dollars, sort of depending on the day. You know, the entire total market cap of all these cryptos, right? Like, by the way, many of which are lost in, you know, addresses that are, you know, inaccessible for all time. Um, right. Or so, bar- buried in landmine or landmines, in landfills. <laughs> sure. Um, talk, talk about ecological disaster. Again, just as a quick aside, I, there's a guy who I think wants a city in New York to dig up its or I'm sorry, New Jersey, to dig up its landfill because he lost something like 7,500 Bitcoin on a hard drive there. And they said, well, even if you found it, and even if you're sure that was your hard drive, it's unlikely that it'd be recoverable. But he's now offered to cut them in on the gains because they've been become so substantial. Anyway. You know, Graham, speaking of speaking of uh, pieces of garbage, uh, that guy who, well, I'm not going to, the guy who stole the, uh, the laptop out of my car in in San Francisco in 2015 that had uh, 150,000 Doge on it. I'm I'm very mm. very upset with that guy. <laughs> oh boy, I bet. <laughs> um. Anyways, so so this has prompted uh, you know the concerns over Bitcoin's uh, electricity consumption and um, carbon emissions have uh, have prompted. Um, some flavor of government action around the world uh, to you know to to either limit, curtail, reevaluate um, you know their sort of stance on on cryptocurrency mining in general. I know that, for example, um, just today, uh, news was that uh, the country of Iran has uh, put a moratorium on all cryptocurrency mining until September. Uh, due to rolling blackouts um, that have been going on in the country, uh, due perhaps oh, wow. in part to uh, cryptocurrency mining, um, and you know this is also a big issue in China. Although China has other reasons besides the um, the environmental costs, which we can get into in a second, um, and you know in general it, it just seems really messy. Now, this is not to say that all cryptocurrency is mined on. Um, Right, because this is only one methodology of the mining working proof of work. Yeah, well, so I was going to say, I was going to say that's that's true. That's going to be my second point. My first point was that you know not all not all crypto that is mined via proof of work methods uh, is necessarily powered by dirty coal power. Right, like I know from you know some prior experience, you know, being an observer of the space, that some of the cheapest power that can possibly got be gotten. Is you know the stuff that comes directly out of you know the power station at a hydroelectric dam, for example, or at a wind farm, or at a um, you know even 
even like natural gas or oil extraction, like they will, if you if you run an oil well, you will invariably end up venting a lot of gas out into the atmosphere. Um, you know, that methane gas is a more powerful um, uh, greenhouse gas than, or it's more insulating greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. It actually makes environmental sense if you were going to go through the process of extracting uh, oil to burn off or some of the gas that's being vented and use that resultant thermal energy to generate electricity, which because you're generating it from a waste product, is effectively free. So right. So like yeah. Like so, so there are ways to do it that uh, I mean, you know, af- affect the environment very little, depending upon the source of your power. Obviously, right. Using either hydroelectric or something that would be burned either way and might actually be less wasteful or less damaging, excuse me, to the environment if uh, if used to generate power for for crypto mining. Right. And and the other thing to note is that there's lots of different proof of X, you know, uh, systems, you know, consensus systems besides just doing proof of work. So um, for those who are uh, unfamiliar, um, one second. So for those who are unfamiliar, the the proof of work thing is basically just, you know, you have a bunch of computers in a network uh, that are all uh, rapidly guessing uh, numbers that could solve a cryptographic p- problem that seals a block of files and in turn appends that block of file uh, that block of transactions into a giant file system called the blockchain. Um, there's other ways of doing this. There's uh, there's proof of stake, which is probably the one that's most um, you know that's that's gaining a lot of no pun intended a lot of gaining a lot of currency today. Um, because it is a much greener system that is based entirely on um, that consensus mechanism is people putting up some uh, some number of, of coins and uh, you know Graham I'm not gonna lie the bits and pieces of, of proof of stake are a little fuzzy to me um, yeah but, and especially ethereum with ethereum 2.0 is kind of moving in that direction but I don't think it's fully there yet no it isn't that has not been that the proof of staking has not been fully implemented in in Ethereum. That's a goal for for Ethereum 2.0. Um, but the idea is that you know proof of stake and many other of these cryptocurrencies, uh, these like um, uh, consensus mechanisms, you know that they aren't necessarily as energy intensive as um, as proof of work. Now, there's other ones that are that that are potentially problematic, but in different ways apart from energy consumption. So, for example. The proof of space-time consensus mechanism that uh, Chia uses, and Chia is a newer cryptocurrency that, um, where its sort of unit is not necessarily, you know, a piece of like cryptographic work. It's based on store- file storage. Um, the transactions in and out of SSDs running on the Chia network are sufficiently high that there's legitimate concern that uh, operators of Chia nodes will um, will end up burning through SSDs a lot faster than normal you know normal use of SSDs would right thus poten- thus potentiating oh, a bunch of you know elect- extra e waste and stuff like that which is its right. own really messy terrible which is problem. its own problem yes right so you know maybe proof of stake is the one maybe other you know other consensus mechanisms you know are are that are either 
out there currently or are you know to be yet to be devised. Um, maybe there's going to be some sort of a silver bullet there, but at least for now, um, there's no intention necessarily to bring Bitcoin off of proof of work. Uh, so at least you know the biggest, most valuable cryptocurrency in the network, uh, or really in the sorry in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, uh, is still likely going to be a um, very large emitter of uh, you know greenhouse gases um, for a long time to come, and it's certainly going to be a large consumer of electricity. So, yeah. I wonder if there's any way to look at what the source of all of that electricity is, because again, so, some of it is probably not that damaging, but obviously that's a much, much more complex question like, what's the environmental impact of powering the state of New York or all data centers worldwide, which were obviously the two comparison data points that we used. So who knows, and hopefully the people who are running those mining um, you know, situations are hopefully obtaining their power in a, in as environmentally friendly a way as possible. Yeah, if if people are, this is going to be in the show notes. But if people are curious about reading more into the electricity consumption of uh, of Bitcoin in particular, um, I highly recommend a website called the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, which you can find at cbeci.org. Again, that'll be in the show notes. Uh, really interesting charts. Um, with a very uh, with that presents some very sobering numbers. Let's say. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, as as far as you know, other things that might be hampering the uh, the the long term success of of cryptocurrencies, um, especially big open cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Are uh, are going to be currency regulations and bank, uh, you know, financial controls uh, imposed by uh, sovereign nations, right? Especially sovereign nations that are um, that rely on maybe perhaps perhaps more centrally planned economies, uh, sovereign nations that uh, have slightly more authoritarian uh, leanings in terms of their leadership. I'm not naming any names here, um, but you know. Really, any uh, any sovereign country that at some point seeks to digitize part of their own currency reserves, you know, they implicitly pose some sort of a threat to big, open, um, leaderless protocols like Bitcoin and you know, you know, Ethereum has you know a leader and a founder and a creator, yada, but like it's still a big, open ecosystem. From the perspective of like financial regulators, at least in the United States, um, but to me, I think that's going to be one of the biggest the biggest risks going forward is how, from a world government perspective, I'm not saying like new world order conspiracy conspiracy theory stuff. I'm saying just like you know the G20 nations, like how do G20 nations, how do their respective central banks treat this stuff? That's a big unknown at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that's interesting to think about is, you know, I mean, uh, but h- how do you regulate that? And obviously it's totally possible for, you know, there to be, I don't know, crazy things about the way people's internet usage or other things like that are tracked. But, you know, I guess, you know, one of the challenges, w- which I mostly think is a long-term positive, 
but for reasons other than government regulation. But one of the kind of things that I think about is like if someone were to want to stop, you know, Bitcoin from functioning, like how do you go about doing that? I mean, like there's no because it's decentralized by design, there is no leader, no organization, no governing body that you for simplicity's sake, send a cease and desist letter sure. to. Now, obviously, if you're a government um, of a you know sovereign chunk of land, you can say, "Hey, uh, don't mine it here. Here's the penalty if you do. Don't. It's not available for use here. Here's the penalty if you own it, use it, whatever." But um, but I think it's hard because of the, the the exact nature of the way that it functions to to regulate it so there's a, there's uh, and a f- that is theoretically part of the design of it exactly and part of the simplistic beauty of it in many cases exactly now there's a few different ways to to cut this mustard right so you know for example um, in China the uh, you know the Chinese government has been engaged in a very long like multi-year like will they won't they, Discussion around banning Bitcoin, right? But there's been there has been discussions around limiting uh, mining activity. Again, currently in there's the mm-hmm. ongoing conversations about doing that in Inner Mongolia. Um, uh, you know, in addition to that, uh, any company or sorry, um, any country in theory could say that its banks are not allowed to uh, uh, transact with. Cryptocurrency exchanges. This is a thing that has, you know, also sort of transpired, at least in an off sure, and on fashion in China. The banking um, institutions, that is, of course. Right. Um, you know, but as far as like, there is no one way to like shut down something as big as Bitcoin, which again, to your point, is the point. Um, so, like, something as big as Bitcoin. So there, there, there's ways to do this, right? Like one way is called like a 51% attack, right? And that, in order to do that, you need to have 51% of all of the mining power on a network, and you have to have control over all of that in order to be able to unilaterally make changes to, you know, the protocol in order to rewrite, you know, bits and pieces of the past in order to basically fork the cryptocurrency in the direction that you want it to go. Right, but as we said, for and that and that would be that would be practically impossible for, for something a, as big as for a network as large as Bitcoin today. That would take uh, enormous resources. Again, in the order of like what nearly half the power of the state of New York in crypto miners to take over that 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 or fork it in a different direction. That or. Some way of coordinating the relations and decision making amongst operators of very large mining pools. Sure, sure. Um, but they would theoretically have a disincentive to that. Um, well, in theory, yes. Uh, yeah, assuming they didn't agree that their incentive was bigger by going down that forked, in purposely incorrect path. Right. Um, this Ooh, is that's scary to think about. This is this is what I wrote my BA thesis on. Happy to talk about it off- offline. Um, but um, this is the part of the show where we get really nerdy, I guess. Exactly. In case in case you thought that the rest of it wasn't. No. Um, but no, like like that is like that is the sort of 
that is the Bitcoin itself it may be and Ethereum too. Like both of these systems and and other cryptocurrencies are really messy for lots and lots of reasons, right? Like they play into, at least in my opinion, the in many ways some of the worst aspects of of people, right? Plays into greed, plays into you know a willingness in the short run to exploit. Um, you know, a lot of resources without necessarily paying a lot of attention to the knock-on effects of exploiting all those resources. Um, you know, people can be, people have used it as a medium of exchange for all manner of um, probably destructive things, depending on whatever your definition of destructive is. Um, but we can definitely say illegal things. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's also this space that seems very, Interesting and and engaging certainly to, um, you know, folks uh, are you know Graham and I's age, and then also definitely a younger generation of entrepreneurs as well. So in many ways, like it does feel in, like that cryptocurrency today is feels maybe a little bit like the internet in two thousand two two thousand three, right? Still really weird. A lot of stuff happening on the edges. Kind yep. of a waste still, of time. Still a lot of. Maybe potential, but yeah, maybe not. Maybe the opposite of that. Right. Still a place that's fraught with a lot of you know risk and uncertainty and uncertainty. Exactly. And that's doubt. what I was thinking. Now yep. there is the opportunity for the space to continue maturing. I think that that some flavor of of digital assets is the future of money. Um, I'd love the idea of programmable money. So, for example, Graham, you know. Imagine if you were given a stimulus check and and the stimulus check was programmed to evaporate if you don't spend it in in a month, right? Like that's a way to rapidly. Oh, and maybe even with limits on on what it could be spent. Sure. Now, there's there's all sorts of like you know weird privacy and personal sovereignty and and stuff like that. You know that 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 can be a a, a problem, right? A real a real. Yeah, I was going to say that also. You know. Seemingly, I mean, since money has been equated to speech, at least in this country, by our court system, at least currently, that also seems to be an argument against free speech. If you limit the ways in which I'm able to spend my money now, it, I mean, it depends, I guess, if you're the source of that money, whether you have some control over it, too. But, yeah, that, that's a cool future to think about. Yeah, for sure. Now, whether or not those assets are necessarily built on, you know, uh, Bitcoin itself or on Ethereum itself, who knows? Um, but. You know, I, I definitely think that that some flavor of of distributed ledger technology is 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 part of money's future. Uh, it's just a matter of getting there. Um, Agreed. But in I've the been me- a bigger believer. I mean, and, and I am now a crypto believer, but I've been a bigger believer in blockchain technology for longer than I've been a believer in crypto personally, or like cryptocurrency. The, the, the cryptocurrency payment exactly, exactly. Yeah, right right i've been a bigger believer in blockchain and distributed ledger technology which underlies it for longer than i've been a believer in the end use of it being cryptocurrency sure although um, i am i admit yeah i think it's going to be a really interesting space to to keep an eye on and graham you know even though you know you and i are probably more interested in a slightly more fuddy duddy stodgy uh, world of uh, venture capital, which you know, compared to all the other flavors of finance out there, is like the absolute crazy wild west. Um, yes, <laughs> you know, I hope that we can continue our conversation about magical internet money for many years to come. 
Oh, I'm sure that there will be tons of opportunity to do so. All right. Well, we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, NFTs or the memeiness of all this uh, nonsense, but uh, uh, that'll that'll be for another show. Okay. All right. All right. Cheers, Graham. Cheers. <laughs>